All right, here we go. Happy summer, everyone. Um, <laughs> I'm only saying that because it's already mid-June, and here in Los Angeles, we're just finally getting to warm weather. So it just feels like it's suddenly summer after a really wet and cold, not super cold, guys. Like, I'm not um, like a super California wimp, but like a cold and wet, not typical of Los Angeles um, weather. So it's nice to have a really hot day today. Um, so, and I know that people, I know that weather has been pretty, has been pretty inconsistent sort of across the country and that there's people, um, global warming is real and it's creating havoc and, um, but I really love summer and I hope that there's a nice summer in your future if it hasn't already arrived. Um, the favorite thing about summer is warm summer nights. I love them. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Northern California, a town called Petaluma, and the fog rolls in from the Pacific Ocean every day by four o'clock, five o'clock at the latest. Um, and so you always, it's always freezing in the evening. And that's my memory of it. Um, growing up was always having, if, even if we had like a nice hot day or a warm day, it was just gonna be so cold by the time <laughs> afternoon rolled around. So to me, warm summer evenings are the, just sort of this nostalgic fantasy place of they're romantic and they're playful and there's something sort of nostalgic to me about how lovely warm nights are, um, which is not the same as hot nights when you can't sleep and your windows are open and the fans are on and you have to sleep on your wooden floor with a washcloth on your forehead. That is different. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, so anyway, that is the weather update on everything's relative. <laughs> this podcast, uh, I am Eve Sturgis. We don't normally talk about the weather. This podcast is about... Um, talking to people about how modern DNA testing has affected their lives for better or for worse. And here we are. Uh, it's already the fifth episode, episode number five. It really feels like we might actually be on a roll here, folks. Um, thanks to everyone who's been with me from the beginning and welcome everybody new. And thanks everyone for um, sending me congratulations and well wishes after episode four, where I announced uh unplanned I <laughs> I did not plan to but ended up announcing my pregnancy um it's now even funnier that we haven't made any announcements about it on social media or to any to many friends because now all these listeners know but still some of our close friends don't know <laughs> and um so like I we saw a friend today who was just totally flabbergasted um that she hadn't seen me since I since I started showing and now I'm really showing um because we're really in the home stretch so um Anyway, it's I, you know, I recommend not telling anybody when you're you're pregnant just to see just to be the fun person who surprises people <laughs> everywhere you go. Um uh yeah. So, okay, so the other thing I got um so people talked said congratulations about the pregnancy. That was very nice. Thank you very much. Um and I I hope <laughs> I hope my breathing isn't too terrible today. Um but I also got a few emails this week asking about some stuff that we've talked about in the other episodes. So I want to address that. Um, in a lot of these episodes so far, if not all of them, 
uh, myself and the guest have re referenced a support group and we talk about meeting in there or what we see or experience in that support group. So people have been contacting me and asking me about it. So let's talk about that for a minute. Um, that group that we're talking about is a very specific support group that's on Facebook. It's not a real life support group. We don't meet in person um, generally. I mean, people kind of figure out where you live and you can meet up, but in local areas, but overall the support group is, is on Facebook. Um, and it has its security settings very strictly to set to secret. Um, and so as far as I know, it is the biggest support group out there for the NPE person. Uh, and they are extremely protective of their membership and they're very strict about the way they run things. Um, cause they have a lot of people and experiences and personalities to manage. So I just want to make sure that it's uh, very, very clear that this podcast, Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis, is not endorsed by that support group. Um, it's not a part of that support group, nor do I necessarily endorse that, that support group in return. Um, it's one support group. It is uh, probably the biggest, and I believe it's one of the very first to get, to get formed in the past few years, but... You know, it's not the end-all, be-all of resources. And I really encourage you to do your own resource. Excuse me. I really encourage you to do your own research for resources for support for yourself. Um, and contact me if you're wondering about that exact support group. Um, but you need to choose for yourself if it's helpful and it's what you want. Um, there's good things and bad things about all sorts of resources. So I just want to make sure it's clear that that's what's going on with that support group. Um, and then what's harder to access is these in-person support groups, which is what some people really prefer. They'd rather meet people in real life and talk with them face-to-face. Uh, -face. And I am sure that they will be cropping up more and more as this DNA phenomenon spreads. But as of right now, there are very few out there. Um, and in fact, before, uh, before I started recording, I did some Googling, and I can't even like... There's no universal name for this experience other than NPE. So everything I Googled, it's like I don't know what to call it. You know, like like, uh, like things that have support groups generally have a, some, some standard names like drug and alcohol recovery or like uh, bereavement support group. And this is like DNA surprise support group, DNA not what you thought support group, NPE people support group, and... I was really coming up pretty, pretty dry, um, except for that support group that I was talking about on Facebook. A couple articles came up about that, um, but so, so I think they're coming, but I I think that uh, you'll find it's hard to find them in in your town. Um, but what I would recommend doing is going to your local counseling centers and asking about it, and if they don't have one, I would not be afraid to recommend that they start one or consider um, consider starting one. And, you know, send them a couple, of, you don't have to be pushy about it, but send them a couple of articles and um, just explain that you're sure there's other people in town with this situation. And um, and it's, it's definitely a need that all communities have. And if they don't have it yet, just because they don't know it. Um, it's just a matter of time, as we have all been discovering. Um, and here in California, I know there, is, um, there are in-person support groups in Orange County. 
So contact me if you want to know more about that. And I don't know of any in Los Angeles where I live. And so I am actually going to start up a support group here on the east side where I live uh, in the fall. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, And if enough people are interested on the west side, we can talk about starting one on the west side too. Um, But for now, I'll keep it it closer to me for, for commute sake. Uh, and I will give more details about that when we get to it, when fans, plans fall, fall into place. I should have a baby first uh, and get through the summer, and then, um, and then I'll, get, I'll get organized for a support group, so stay tuned for that. So um, let's see. What else do I need to talk about? Oh, 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 okay. Um, oh, this is just a fun thing. This is just funny. Uh, so... <laughs> You know how in episode three I talked about, or Lori uh, talked about how she figured out that she was probably not her, both her parents' daughter because she had brown eyes. And I said, yes, 10th grade biology class. That's totally, uh, I think about that all the time. We do that exercise with the recessive genes. Well, I, so I ended up, I decided to post that episode on my high school alumni Facebook page. And my biology teacher from the 10th grade, from so long ago, I won't even tell you how many years, responded. He saw the message and responded. He listened to the episode. Uh, he, it was, he was so diplomatic about not saying whether he noticed or didn't notice inconsistencies in people's uh, genetic assignments. <laughs> um, so I'm still, I still would love to know if he if he notices and, and has suspicions about people, but, uh, but he listened. Yeah. But he listened to the podcast. I thought it was so great. And he said that genetic, uh, recessive gene assignment chart where everybody figures it out is one of his favorites. So that was super fun. I, it was really fun to hear from him. Uh, he was, he, he, he's retired, but he was a really great teacher. Um, and that was a class that I really loved. Uh, although I did not go into the sciences after that. Um, so anyway, thank you to my 10th grade biology teacher. I really appreciate it. So, okay. So here we are. We're, uh, in episode five. We're going to do, we're going to talk about Carla. Um, we're not going to talk about Carla. We're going to talk with Carla and she, um, I wanted to get her in here in the lineup because she is the first person to have a story that ventures us into the way that DNA tests are exposing the world of sperm donors and fertility clinics, which is this whole other layer and a whole other discussion about the way these tests are exposing secrets and bringing confidentiality into question. Um, And it just opens up a whole nother can of worms. So uh, she was great. So hospitable. It was fun to go to go find her in Orange County and uh, sit with her in her her really cool house and uh, hear her story. So I'm going to get this going. And uh, otherwise, I'll see you on the other side. This is Everything's Relative. I'm Eve Sturgis, and this is episode five. Your mic is on. Testing, see, testing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, uh, hello. This is Everything's Relative. I'm Eve Sturgis. I'm sitting here with uh, Carla, who reached out to me and said she had some, a story to tell. So I drove down to Orange County. I'm kind of doing an Orange County tour today. Uh, and I'm super excited to hear her story and find out what this has, experience has been like for her. 
and uh, she's got notes for me. She's got pictures. She had coffee. This is really fun and great. <laughs> so um, why don't you get started, and then I will interject as necessary. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. Take um, it away. Thank you. Uh, so I was born in 1967 in the summer of love. And uh, in this house that we're sitting in, you know, it was my childhood Gorgeous home. house, by the way, everybody. Gorgeous. I'm dying. <laughs> um, my parents split when I was seven, but they remained best friends. Very close for oh. my whole life. Yeah. My mom's still living. Um, my dad passed away in 2002. And just for the sake of clarity, I think a lot of people in our world, um, in the NPE world, refer to birth certificate father and a birth father, I use the terminology my dad and my donor. Great. Okay, okay great. Thank you for clarifying. Yes. Um, so growing up, you know, I felt very loved by both of my parents, but there was sort of a disconnect. And I always felt that the two of them connected with each other more than either of them connected with me. Oh, either of them. Right. I just didn't feel like they, they got me or they understood me. But there was always something there that I really couldn't put my finger on. Um, in addition to that, I didn't look anything like my dad. And we didn't have any shared mannerisms. I definitely did with my mom. Right. Mm -hmm. But there was just something kind of underlying. Um, but uh, anyway, so, you know, my parents split, but they're very good friends and, you know, I have a you know, decent upbringing and everything, nothing traumatic. Did everybody or, stay, did your dad stay living right near you? Uh, my dad stayed living in this house. Oh. And my mom and I moved out. Okay. So, um, but you know, I saw my dad on the weekends, things like that. Um, when I got married, um, which was a few years before my dad passed away, um, we were in our early thirties and my then husband and I spent a lot of time talking about, um, you know, starting a family and what we would do if we couldn't have kids naturally. Because at our age, we were starting to see our friends having a lot of difficulty and sometimes using fertility clinics. And, you know, we saw this road that they were going down and thought that in some cases they were being taken advantage of a bit and in the heat of the emotion. Oh, of, yeah. You know, making decisions when you're already on fertility drugs and things like that. And it just didn't sit right with us. So we had a lot of really deep philosophical conversations and decided that um, if we couldn't have kids naturally, we'd go straight to adoption. And we were very firm about not wanting to use any kind of artificial means of getting pregnant. And uh, Great discussion to have, by the way, for anybody who's getting married. <laughs> I would recommend that as well, to be on the same page. So you're not having that discussion while you're trying to get pregnant. So thank you. Um, Money, religion, kids. <laughs> do it, guys. Yes, I recommend that too. Um, so basically, we used to joke around about, you know, we don't want our kids ending up on Jerry Springer, right? Right. And yeah. So <laughs> I'm waiting for Jerry Springer to call me any day now. Um, so fast forward about three years later, after we get married and we're just starting to really think about having kids, my dad passes away. Suddenly, unexpectedly, massive heart attack. Um, mm, and so hard. It, I, we were living in San Francisco and he was here and he left behind a horrible physical and financial mess. Mm. 
Mm. Okay, so this house that you're sitting in, imagine you can't see the, the floor in the entire house. There was one pathway from the front door into the living room, but it was filled with papers and everything you can imagine. Oh, a hoarder. Hoarder. There's an attic that spans the length of the house, full. Had you known? A garage full, not to this degree, right. basement full. So um, clearly had some issues <laughs> and there was no will. And so I had to go through all the stuff. So without getting into too much about that, it was basically my full-time job for a year to go through, deal with his stuff, clear out the house, manage his estate, deal with his finances. He hadn't filed taxes in 10 years, things like that. Sounds exhausting. It, it was. And so that's the point. Emotionally, of like emotions notwithstanding. Oh, it was I physically mean, exhausting. Oh, yeah. Just but, sounds but so hard. Part of the problem here is that I never got a chance to grieve the loss of my dad. I just had to, I, I'm an only child. I had to jump Hit the right ground into running. taking care of business. Okay. So this kind of sets the stage, right? So um, during this time, my mom is supportive, but you know, my mom and dad never remarried anybody else. You know, I think they were each other's soulmates and she was grieving, okay? But I couldn't deal with that. I had to deal with all this stuff. So fast forward a year, we finally got through the house, probate has ended, we're getting back on track of having our own family and all of that. And my mom says, I need to talk with you. So she comes over and I'm thinking she's gonna tell me she's got cancer. Right. A lot of people in her family had mm -hmm, cancer. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh my God, are you gonna tell me you have cancer? And she said, no, no, this is about me and you and your father. And I said, are you going to tell me that he was not my biological father? And her jaw dropped. And she said, what on earth would make you say such a thing? And I told her, I said, I always kind of suspected um, I didn't look like him. We didn't have any shared mannerisms. I said, but I'll tell you, the, the moment that I knew was when I graduated from college and he was a college professor at the college that I attended. And so back in those days, it was the late 80s. There were physical pictures, right? right? Not digital pictures. So physical pictures. I get my physical pictures back. There's a picture of my dad in his robes, arm around me, really proud. And the next picture, it's one of my English professors, same pose, in his robes, arm around me, really proud. And I'm looking back and forth at the two pictures. No, 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 and no. I'm like, oh my gosh, I look more like my college professor than my own dad. And it freaked me out. Side note, I am not my college professor. Okay, <laughs> I was like, that's where I thought we were going, so was, was like, like, no, but if you this think other about man, it, okay. okay, so I'm born in 1967, it's the summer of love. They're having all kinds of oh, wild totally. parties, whatever, you know. So this is what's going on in my mind as I'm looking at these pictures. Oh my goodness, you know, who knows what happened. Never in a million years would occur to me that I might be adopted because I know I'm my mother's daughter. Like there's just no question, right? right? And I look enough like her, it's just, there's no way. But the only possible explanation to me is that my mom had an affair and oh. whether my mom my dad knew it just I didn't want to go there and the two, like I said the two of them were best friends so they found a way to still have a great relationship so at the time I'm thinking I don't even want to touch this I don't want to bring it up I am so not drama kind of person um, 
it just didn't seem like any good could come of exposing that or asking questions about it. Okay, so again, I'm this I'm 21, just finished college, and I'm like, I, I'm not gonna say anything. So I just decide not to. So my mom brings this up. Right, so fast forward. So I tell her, okay, this happened, and that's from that moment, I just knew. And she said, wow, well, why didn't you ever say anything? And I told her, I thought it meant you had an affair. And she said, no, that wasn't it at all. She said, we went to a fertility clinic and used a donor. And then my jaw dropped. Right. Because, okay, so I've already told you, I've decided that that's not a choice that I would make for myself. So now I'm processing this. And you, and I'm sure your parent, your mom at least was aware of that conversation that you and your husband were having at all. Honestly, probably not. Okay, because maybe we're not. not that close. Okay, okay. So, um, but it's kind of it's enlightening that it would show you that she doesn't know me well enough to know that about yeah, me. Yeah. Okay. So um, I was pretty floored, and I guess she had seen an Oprah episode where a donor you know, united with his offspring and it was kind of, you know, sunshine and roses and everything went great. And she thought that this might happen for me. You're the second person today to bring up Oprah, by the way. (laughs) Thanks, Oprah. But, you know, back in those days, it was the happy side of these things. You didn't really see that there could be another side of it, right? So, but, you know, I think out of respect to my dad, she waited until he had passed and then, um, told me she did not check with the clinic first before telling me so she gave me all the information and it was a clinic through UCLA where my dad had gotten his PhD and so that was how they found out about it because in 1966 yeah nobody talked about this yeah that was not something out in the open absolutely not completely taboo like I don't even think most people would know that this was even an option right in those days. Fair, yeah, I don't know. So um, so she gives me the, the information and I call the clinic and what my mom had told me is that the paperwork they filled out was that they wanted a donor that matched my dad's description. Physically, um, he was like just a genius. You know, they wanted somebody really smart, really intelligent, same ethnic background, German, Polish. Um, and so that's what they asked for. And, you know, I looked more like my mom. I didn't look anything like my dad. So it's hard to tell what I actually got. Yeah, it's always a gamble, I guess. But, you know, it's not like I have, like, blue eyes and red. I mean, I dye my hair red, but I'm blonde. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's not like I stood out or I looked like I didn't fit in. I looked like my mom. I had the same coloring as my mom. Wildly, wildly different no not at all not at all like she has hazel eyes I have hazel eyes my daughter has hazel eyes ironically um so anyway so I called the clinic and said you know my parents came there November of 1966 and um you know I'm just curious if you have any information and the guy says well we had a fire a couple months ago and uh everything from that time period was lost Okay, so now I'm starting to feel like Did I'm you believe a soap him? opera. At the time, not really. I just figured they probably just didn't save anything, if they had anything, right? Right. But I was. I feel m- like that was like a script written on the wall. That was like, I was anybody moderately calls, skeptical. That's the way we maintain confidentiality. Yes, we have fires. But 
I will say I did research later on, like many years later, and I was able to confirm that they did have a fire at the clinic and they had to move locations and, and, and the clinic ended up shutting down after having some issues, other issues, not fire related, <laughs> ethical issues. I can only imagine. <laughs> but, um, but no, but the reality is I'm sure they probably didn't even save anything. So, but what the guy tells me is, it, you know, he says, I'm really sorry that I don't have anything for you. But he said, just look in the mirror and it'll tell you everything you need to know. So I get off the phone. That feels also like something they had written on the wall. <laughs> right? It's like, how dismissive. Thank you, Lifetime movie. What? Yes. So this is becoming a soap opera, right? But because of what my father, my actual father, has taught me, you don't just let that go, right? So I thought, okay, I'm a teacher. I believe in teaching and training. This is a teachable moment for that person that answered the phone. And you might need a little sensitivity training. So I sent an email to the director of the clinic and said I called. And this was, you know, the dialogue we had. And I just wanted, maybe you could speak with that person about being a little more sensitive to the people who are the results of these procedures at your clinic. And he writes back and said, oh, I remember that conversation. That was me. Oh, my God. And <laughs> I thought, okay, if this is the director of the clinic, um, I'm probably not going to get anything out of this. Right. So I just... Walked away from that and... Probably best to let that one go. Yeah. But at the time, I didn't look into any information at the clinic. I didn't look to see how long the clinic had been in existence. To me, I assumed this must have been something brand new, cutting edge when my parents went. So at that time, I assumed if I ever connected with siblings, I would be the oldest. And it would probably be people younger than me. Never in a million right. years occurred to me that the clinic would have been around longer than that so okay so i get nowhere with the clinic and then um a friend who had seen the oprah mm -hmm. episode yep. told me that something they mentioned on the episode is called the donor sibling registry which okay remember this is this is uh, 2003 okay okay when this is all happening um so it was a website pretty rudimentary it w didn't have like a super robust search function or anything like that it was just a bunch of people posting you know i was conceived at this fertility clinic during this time period and that you would look and see if you had any matches and then you would contact those people right and i didn't see anybody who was conceived around the same time for some reason at that time it didn't occur to me to look for other time periods <laughs> uh -huh. right uh -huh. Because yeah. I think I started out looking for the donor, and then I started looking for siblings, but I didn't think, oh, I should look for anybody who was conceived in the 60s or 70s. Well, or why? I mean, the whole, the, the whole process of donorship, I don't even, I don't even know how it works. Like, I, I, I mean, I know the, we all know the basics. We know that, like, a man gives his sperm. Yes. And that's about, I mean, I mean, it's just like not, it's not a, it's not an industry or a, a like, it's just not an area that we know about. We don't know how they no. make the sausage. No. Well, and, you know what? So. and I will tell you, I have never thought more about sperm in my life than I have in the last yeah. few years. 
Um, <laughs> but, and how prolific it is and how detached at least some men can be from what it can create. Totally. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, just, and I'm just I'm wondering, like, I just didn't even, I'm just, I'm dying to know how many people used a donor um, facility and ever considered that that would be, that would come up for their child. Like, no. that, that would be an issue. Like, I just don't think. Yeah. Okay. And back in those days. Especially in those days. No conception of DNA, like genetic matching, something like um, what we can do through Ancestry, 23andMe, that you could just spit in a tube, send it off, and it could match you across, you know, millions of people. No concept of something like that. So at the time, the, the prevailing thought was the most important thing is the anonymity of the donor and saving the pride of the father. Mm -hmm. in the scenario yeah okay so clearly my parents tried to get pregnant for eight years couldn't they go to a clinic one time get pregnant we know obviously mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. the donor but to save face what they did in those days a lot was they would mix oh yeah the father okay, with the donor sperm I and you're starting to see stories coming out that there were doctors yep yep yep, yep. that were treating women who would use their own we're also specimen. We're con also contributing. We're mm -hmm. also contributing. Okay, without getting super graphic, um, back in those days, there was no freezing of sperm so that you could get a donation, freeze it, and then come back and use it later. You had to have fresh. And so if the planets aligned and the woman's ovulating and the husband can be there and th all this and that, the doctor's, you know, ducking out into another room and coming up with a <laughs> local donor. <laughs> I mean, oh, my whole, God. Okay, oh, so my God. You can see why I have issues with this whole thing. Just philosophically. This is a rabbit hole. It is. And ethically, those kinds of things just make my skin crawl. Okay, so you have that whole aspect of it and sort of this God complex, right? And you have to remember that fertility clinics, their purpose, their mission is to get women pregnant and have live births. After that happens, they could care less. That's why there's that dismissiveness. It's like, you're alive, you know, what do you care? Just look in the mirror. What does it matter? Who cares what your genetic makeup is, you know? It's, it's unbelievable. So there's, there's that aspect of it. And then now there's much more control about um, how many offspring you can generate from one donor. Back in those days, there were no, it was the wild west. There I have a no question. Parameters around. I have a question. It's, and it is, I mean, none of, nothing, no question about sperm is not gross, <laughs> but because this came up recently, someone was telling me that some, either a country like Australia or, or the UK, somebody just made a rule that you, no one can give more than 10. You can't have more than 10 yeah. submissions. So here's my question. <laughs> there are like millions of sperm per submission, right? Yeah. Does each submission get used for one person or does it get divided? Do you know? Those are great questions. Because I was like, well, ten, sure. they said, my, the person saying it was like, well, you can only do 10 now in that country. So then you would know that your offspring would, would cap off at 10. And I was like, not if they're splitting it, 
You yeah. only need one sperm. So Right. A donation doesn't necessarily equal the number of offspring. Right. Unless they only use one, one donation one. for right. one insemination. Oh man, I'm gonna figure this out, guys. Yeah, I know. <laughs> These things are on my list. Like, who's dividing the sperm? Whose job is but that? When but, I start going down this road, I, it's like I get angry and angry and more frustrated at the industry as a whole. At the system. At the system, and I feel like out of this, there needs to come something. I, I need to do something to be helpful to someone somehow. I'm not exactly sure what that is. Um, part of it too, I think, is this what used to be such a focus on the anonymity of the donor. So imagine too, that imagine you're a donor and you donate, you have no concept at this time, 1966, that somewhere down the road, you might be identified. No, yeah, no, right? I'm fascinated. I, yeah. I think about those men a lot. Like what is it like for them to get a phone call? Right. Well, I mean, in my mind, it's like a knock on the door and someone is standing there. Um, that was not their intention. Yeah. And so this is this yeah, is a piece yeah. of the puzzle. And honestly, to me, I feel very strongly that you know, if you're going to donate and you're going to create a human being, at a minimum, you should provide medical history and some family information. You know, you could still remain anonymous and still provide some of that. I think, and I think the laws are changing, or maybe they have already changed. Um, so that you cannot remain completely anonymous anymore. It's just not realistic in the age of home DNA kits. You, you just can't. And I don't think you can go into it, you should go into it with that belief that you're gonna remain completely anonymous. Um, okay, so I find out, I get nowhere, I have no information about anything. Okay, and again, this is 2003. And, you know, what do I do with this? So my mom has told me this, so I can't do anything about it. I'm not gonna have this Oprah moment with my donor or my siblings, who, if they exist. And there could be hundreds, thousands of us, right? And you know, I grew up in the only child. I wanted brothers and sisters my whole life. So that was really my interest. You know, I had a dad, I had a father-in-law. I didn't really, I wasn't really looking for a dad. It would have been nice to thank him I suppose, for making sure. his donation. Okay, sure. I'm, I'm alive because of you, whether I agree with that or not. It's the case. It's the truth. So thank you. That's all I really needed as far as that went. Um, and I remember talking with my brother-in-law about it after this all came to light. And I was saying, you know, I'm really frustrated that I can't find any information about possible siblings. And he said, what are you looking for? You have siblings now. And he meant my in-laws. And I said, you know, that's a really good point. And I thought about it and I thought, okay, my brothers, my brothers-in-law, they earned that title. Mm -hmm. You know, they were in my life. Like when my dad died, they stepped up. They were there for me. That's family, you know, and we don't share any DNA at all. And it doesn't matter. They're my family. And it was a really good point. And I thought, what, what am I looking for? I have what I need. I wanted family, I've got family, I, you know, just let it go. And back then, there's no Ancestry 23andMe, any of that right, stuff. Right, right. So, like, you could get a paternity test with somebody if you thought they, they might be your parent. But other than that, there was really nothing to do. There's none of these databases that are No, there was nothing to do. Growing. So, <clears throat> excuse me. 
So at this point, I just sort of just have to put it away. And I, I put that aside and then it really started to kind of come up for me this whole notion that I've been lied to and mm-hmm. what I thought was true isn't true. And, you know, even though my parents did this out of love, it's still, it's very disconcerting. It's unsettling. It's unsettling when the, the, the people that you should be able to trust more than anyone in your whole life, your parents, have lied to you and over and over again. You know, you have a, a family history project that you have to do for school, you know, all that kind of stuff. People bring up school projects so often. Yeah, and it's looking back, wow, you know, none of that is true. That's not my family history. You know, I've been, I've been telling all these untruths because that's what I knew. And so then I started perseverating on all of that, right? Because I've given up now on any chance of finding my uh, biological father or siblings, okay? So then I have a kid and then I have a divorce and I become <laughs> a single parent when my kid's three and a half years old. Okay, so again, I just don't really have the luxury of no, dealing there's, there's with- there's not a lot of time for family research in there. No, and, I, and there's grief along the way, and none of the grief am I really having the opportunity to deal with, so I'm just having to kind of squish it all down. So fast forward to probably like 2014, okay? Um, it's about five years, after my divorce and I'm finally getting out there and kind of getting in the dating world. And my best friend says, you could date your brother. <laughs> and it, she wasn't totally off because she right. said, you are in the geographic region where this happened. You could date your brother. And she said, they have these kids now. And so she told me about ancestry and she said, you should, send in for one of these things. And I think part of it was just, she really wanted to know. She's a very curious person. Yeah, I just feel like, uh, yeah, to me that would be like, the chances would be so slim that it... But it's so revolting. <laughs> However, I guess that that's a possibility. It really is. And um, so of course I, at that moment, resigned to never ever date a Jewish guy again in my life because <laughs> just one taking You're like spitting into tubes everywhere. You're like, oh, spit, God. Spit, spit. Made me so sick to even think of that. But um, so, but she really kind of pushed me about it. And at first I thought, you know, she's just curious. You know, obviously people are very curious about my situation because this is not typical. People my age were not donor conceived. Nowadays, this is very common, right? But for my generation, no. Like if, if you had told me that I was adopted, I would have been able to find other people I knew that had a shared experience. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody uh, well, except now that I've met people through the um, the Facebook group mm-hmm. where we met. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I don't have anybody in my life that has been through something like this. So Yeah, and it just doesn't, doesn't come up anyway. No, no. But um, so she kept kind of bugging me about it. Bugging me. So finally, I bought the kit, and then it sat on my counter for, you know, six months or something. Finally, send it in. I get the results, and I look in there. And it says 96% Eastern European Jew. This is what I see on the first screen. And I was so annoyed. It's like, I paid $70 for that. I know more than that. Right. <laughs> you know, I knew more than that before spitting in the tube. I was so frustrated. And I just shut it down. 
That's why I'm not very interested in those tests. Well, okay. like, but if, I, if I had clicked through, right, <laughs> I would have right. seen that there was more information than that. But, and I didn't even think to look at the matches, the people matches. Mm -hmm. I just saw that. I thought, this is BS. This is so stupid. I wasted my money. Why did I do this? Shut it down and didn't go back in for a year and a half. <laughs> oh, you really shut it. You really I, shut yes, it down. I was so annoyed that I wasted my money. That's what I just, I couldn't get over that. And I think my friend was really disappointed. Like, oh, I was really hoping that it would get you some information. So then I start getting these email messages. So if somebody messages you through one of these sites, you get an email message, but you have to log into the site. Right. It to says respond. you got a message from somebody. So this woman is, you know, like a fourth cousin, distant cousin. We barely have a connection on my mother's side, right? And I'm thinking, okay, I don't need to be dealing with something on my mother's side now. I have enough on my plate, right? <laughs> Move along, not interesting. Right. Okay, but this woman is, I wouldn't say she was harassing me, but every couple of months she's sending me another message. Persistent. She, yeah, she was pretty persistent and clearly needed some answers. And I just felt bad for her after a while. And I wanted her to stop and leave me alone. So this was, it was December 2017. Okay. I logged into Ancestry Retention to tell this up. woman to stop in a very nice way. Um, and I just said, look, you know, I'm going through a whole thing and I'm really here looking for siblings. And I seriously cannot handle more than one screen at a time. I just cannot. <laughs> so I said, I, I, I'm sorry. But I said, also, I just really don't have much information for you, you know, and um, I wished her luck and, you know, she thanked me for responding. Well, when I looked to see like where in the lineup she was, cause I had like thousands of matches, right? Mm -hmm. There's my mom. And then there's two people below my mom and it says close family. And I have no idea who these people are. And then everybody else is a much smaller match. Mm -hmm. So I also, I go back to my messages and I realized they had also, those two people had messaged me as well. And so uh -huh. I went in, looked at the messages and one of them is saying, I'm not sure why we're connected. I have reason to believe that my father is not my biological father after all, but this is all a surprise to me. Maybe you can help me find some answers. And again, I'm looking at that. I'm like, help you find some answers. Look, people <laughs> stop asking me for help. I am a mess and I'm looking for answers. And so again, I see that and I'm like, I can't deal with this. So I shut it down and I don't go back. <laughs> Amazing. For seven more months. And now, okay, I look back and I feel terrible that I did that. So, so last summer, so this is July 2018, um, it was that really oppressively hot week where it was just hot all around the country. And we were visiting our friends in the south. And it oh, was, no. Oh, it was awful. It was so hot, you couldn't even go outside and do anything. So we're stuck inside all day. And for some reason, I decided maybe this is the time to log back in and write to these people. Okay, mm -hmm. I've got, I've got mm -hmm. time off. I'm a teacher. I'm off in the summer and I'll decide to deal with this. So, so I log back in and I respond to them, of course, you know, seven months after they've contacted me. And um, so the one by this point, she and the other one, like the two of them have not only connected, but they've met 
and they have determined that they're sisters, half sisters. Okay, so it, you know, the writing's on the wall. I'm half sister as well. So there's the one who she had no idea. She did DNA testing and that's how she found out. Mm -hmm. And both of her parents are dead. There's nobody to ask. Ugh. Okay. The other one, which is what's really throwing me for a loop, she's not a donor kid. She is the result of an affair. And she's given me permission to talk about this. So, and I was not expecting this at all, right? Right, yeah, no, I'm like, I can't even put the pieces together right now. Right. I'm like not breathing. So, our donor had an affair with her mom. And long story short, I mean, that's, you know, her story to tell, but basically she didn't meet him until she was an adult. She already had children and, um, so she met. So she grew him. up thinking another man was her father? Yes, or not knowing who her father was okay. for part of the time. So that's a kind of its own right, mess. Right, right, right. Right. Um, but I think publicly she had to pretend as though her brother's father was her father. Got it. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So family wise and everything, you know. Mm -hmm. it, they all had the same father, but behind the scenes, everybody right, right. knew kind of that wasn't the case. Okay. So, um, so she meets him as an adult and you know, they have sort of a lukewarm relationship, not great, but to her, that's her father. Right. So the first thing she does is she contacts him. I mean, she just did ancestry just for fun. Right. Just to find out her <laughs> ethnic background. Uh huh. Famous and last words. She said later on, she remembered that. When she was a teenager, her mom had said at one point, you know, oh, your dad was a sperm donor. You might have all kinds of brothers and sisters out there. But I think at the time, maybe she didn't really understand what that meant. Or, you know, again, this isn't stuff that people yeah. talked about back in those days. And it didn't really resonate. And so when she went to do the DNA testing, it didn't even occur to her. So she starts matching with these people. She contacts her dad and is like, I think I'm matching with your people from your donations and you know do you want me to put you in touch with them how do you want me to deal with this and he was like absolutely not I want nothing to do with them so on the one hand it was good to just get that definitively and yeah. know that that's the case yeah no ambiguity there no but I have to say for me it kind of sent me in a tailspin because it was much easier when this person was abstract right and yep, I didn't I totally know are, yeah. anything about them um my question has always been like you know medical history is important family history whatever to me the most important thing is is he a good person do I come mm, from somebody that's important to you who's a good person that's what's most important to me okay and I don't know that that's <clears throat> excuse me I don't know that that is what's most important to my siblings but for me personally, that's the key. Hmm. So if he's not a good person, I don't want to know about the rest of it. I'm not interested. I don't care. I'm out. But it would be really nice to know that half of me comes from someone that has done some good in the world, right? Um, because those are my values. And uh, when he just completely shot it down, I mean, not even you know, selfishly wanting information about us. I mean, anything, just completely denying 
that we exist. And it was exactly the same treatment from the fertility clinic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, um, you know, and I didn't take it as a personal rejection. It's like, you don't even know anything about me. How could it be? It's, it, it's the opposite of a personal rejection. Right. It's rejection. like a nothing. Yeah. It's like a nothing. It's, it's just it's, it's not even an acknowledgement. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not even enough of an acknowledgement to be a rejection. Right? You get that. Yeah, I, I get it. I don't, yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm struggling to find the words to, to summarize what you're saying and you're yeah. doing it. Great. That guy. Thanks. Yeah. But it, but it is, it's a weird thing to wrap your, your brain around. And so that was really disconcerting. And um, so she gives us this information and the two sisters and I are kind of, we're all figuring out, we're sisters, we're sharing our stories, getting to know each other. And oh, here pops a brother, right? During that week, when we have, <laughs> I finally decide that well, I'm gonna connect you're gonna with everybody. Look at this. Suddenly, siblings everywhere. Here comes a brother. <laughs> and, and, um, so, and then a couple weeks later, he happened to be visiting nearby where I live. And so he asked, do you want to meet? And sure, okay, why not? It was mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know anybody that's, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I've known anybody that's met their just, siblings yet. We just stare at each other. We, we literally are staring at each other. And he's like, can I see your toes? And oh, I want yeah. to know like, if your <laughs> toe does this thing. Yeah. My, oh, your toes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And do the same thing and you know oh, we've got this you know kooky curly hair this crazy thick curly hair that nobody in our family has and um and then we both took off our glasses and um it just i've never looked so much like somebody and i'm looking at he's got these eyes that look like they're asian but we don't have any asian in us like where does that come from and we have the same cheeks and it was really unbelievable. And his son was with us and he's in his twenties. And he said it was remarkable to watch, to the watch this experience. Yeah. That must've see, been so interesting to witness. You know, it, it was weird. It was, it wasn't like we just met. It was as if we'd known each other for years. We could finish each other's sentences. We had so much in common, We're both teachers. And it's just, we just got each other immediately. And it was, such a powerful experience. It was amazing. It was so amazing. It, I couldn't ask for a better experience, right? And then um, after that, I created a private Facebook group for the four of us. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, why don't we share pictures and we can share our stories. And then if we match with anybody else, they can just come in because otherwise we're gonna have to keep going through this over and over again. Right. Because we're thinking, I mean, really, there could be hundreds of us out there. And they're just, and you all, you all just happened in your own lives, individual lives, decided to do a mail-in test and you all coincidentally chose the same company. No. Um, I think the brother and I both did it to try to find siblings he's probably he was probably trying to find the donor too possibly i think he's a bit more interested in that but he knew before as well so he's known for years his mom got it okay told him um so same kind of thing as my situation that there really wasn't the mechanism to connect with anybody and now here's the mechanism to do it so he and i kind of did it for the same reasons but the same company no he did no. 23 and me <gasps> But oh. one of the sisters had done 23andMe as well. So they matched, 
and she told him, you need to do ancestry and connect with the others. There's more of us. <laughs> oh my gosh. There could be, so, now I'm getting it. Okay. Yeah. There could be hundreds of you. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then the other two, I think just did it for fun. They weren't looking to connect with anybody, but the two of us were looking specifically to connect. So we knew going in. Right. Okay. Right, 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 right. I, I think both of us are very grateful that we didn't discover this by taking the test. Like so many people, it just adds this whole layer of just that, that, that pain of the deceit and betrayal and all that kind of thing. You know, I'm so grateful to my mom that she came to her confusion. Yeah. Yeah. So at least like, I don't have that to deal with. Um, <clears throat> so we, you know, we're all talking, getting to know each other. And we realized that we're all going to be in the Bay area for Thanksgiving. So we met San Francisco Bay area. Yeah, San okay. Francisco Bay area. So we all met in person and most of the kids as well. And it was so wonderful. That is we, so great. What a relief. Off. Oh yeah. And you know, so far everybody's like a good person and um, we all have the same dark, sarcastic sense of humor. We get each other. Um, we're all like either for the most part, you know, teachers or social worker or that type of thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you inherited something yeah. from this kind of mystery man. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, but, you know, we're all different, too, because we grew up in very different circumstances. We all have completely different sure. family dynamics and situations. And, um, so we met, and it was good. And when we left, my daughter, who um, she's 13, she said, I already feel like they're my aunties and my uncle and my cousins. So to the kids, that sounds so fun to me. It, it just, it's just love. It's just more people to love and you know, that kind of thing. I don't think the kids are freaked out by it at all. It's more, you know, us, <laughs> but, um, so, you know, so we kind of step back from that and then, um, and by the way, I'm the youngest of everybody. Oh, how funny. Exactly the opposite of what you imagined. Absolutely. I never thought I would be the baby. Of the baby. So this is the running joke. Right. Is, you know, so then one sister sends me a text message. Hey, little sis, don't get too comfortable in that baby spot because we've got a live one. Yeah. So somebody matches with <laughs> us Okay, so you got a new one. Okay. Got a new one. And this is, it's exciting, but it's also kind of disconcerting because it's like, boom, you have a sibling. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know what I mean? Like at least like with a pregnancy. As if it can happen. You, you, have, you have nine months right. to adjust and kind of get used to this idea. Right. Your it's whole just, understanding of the way families are formed oh, is no. totally blown out of the water. Yeah. No, the stork comes through email and it's an announcement. And now all of a sudden you have an adult sibling. baby. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it, it, it's just, it, it's kind of disconcerting. But by this point I had put... Um, not a disclaimer, but in my profile on both Ancestry and 23andMe, a description saying, you know, I learned as an adult that my father was not my biological father. My parents used this clinic, you know, and I basically explain in a nutshell my story, where I was conceived and when. So the new match told me later it was very helpful because 
she was not expecting. It was a surprise. Mm-hmm. So she logged in, and then we're all waiting for a connection, and then she logs out and doesn't go back in for like four days. Mm-hmm. And I told everybody else, because I'm active in that Facebook group, I said, this is a shock. She didn't know. She didn't know. Or there's something about this that is surprising to her because she's not reaching out at all. And in the, the, my profile, I put, I've connected with you know, several siblings already. It's been a great experience. I'm open to connecting with anybody else. Please reach out to me if you want to have a conversation. So it's very open and warm and welcoming, but you know, I don't want to hound the other person. I want them to know if you're ready, I'm here. And there's no, so because this guy won't talk to you, there's no way to know like what was going on for him from his, okay. No. And I feel terrible for the sister who has a relationship with him because she has some of these answers. Oh, and I didn't even think about that. He has asked her not to share information with us, but I have to say that I think she has tremendous integrity because she is honoring her father while also trying to establish relationships with us. And it's one of the things I admire about her, even though it's frustrating to know that she has the answers to our questions, or at least some of them, I admire that she's made a commitment. You know, to me, that shows loyalty. Sure. Like if so, she's yeah, going to be that loyal to him, way to go about it. I yeah. would assume that she would be that loyal to me. And um, we have a very close relationship. And, you know, I've actually expressed to her my frustration about this whole thing. I can talk with her openly because she doesn't take it personally. Right. Like she can understand She understands everybody. why you're frustrated. Yes. And she can understand everybody in the situation, but she's still doing the honorable thing. And she's keeping her word to her dad. And I totally get it. But it is weird to have that connection and to know somebody who knows him. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it, that's the part of this that I would have never expected. Right. Yeah. So that's, you know, every situation has its own unique. Is everybody, but, they, uh, okay, wait, everybody from the same clinic, fertility place? Or was um, he donating all uh, wherever he was at? So far, <laughs> God, I didn't even <laughs> think about this. Oh no, now you've given me something else to obsess about. That honestly never occurred to me that he might have been donating at other... So you were all from the UCLA place. Okay. And he was apparently a nursing student, I think, at the time, is how he found out about it. So back in those days, that's a lot of um, where the donations came from, were doctors, medical students, nursing students, you know, people in the medical field. Um, That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I... You know, I honestly have no idea if he had a genuine interest in wanting to help people or if it was just beer money or, you know, I, I, don't, I have no yeah, idea. no way to know. It could be anything. Were, yeah. You know. But um, I thought I came up with a really great compromise, um, uh-huh. <laughs> which when we all got together at, at Thanksgiving, the next day that sister was going to see her dad. And the other siblings were like, oh, can you deliver a message? Can you ask some questions? Here are 37 things I'd like to know this time. And I said, you know what, you guys? He has already said he does not want that. 
So I said, instead of all of us inundating him with a bunch of questions, what if we come up with maybe the three most important questions that we have collectively, give those to the sister, she can take them to him, and ask, would you be willing to answer these questions, I'll take them back, and that's it. So at least we get something, he still remains anonymous, she's keeping her word, you know, everybody- Seems like you someone that understands boundaries. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good point. And that everybody gets a little bit of what they want and compromises a little bit, okay. So this sort of happens and sort of doesn't, but he shoots it down. Anyway, okay. just not going to respond to anything. Doesn't want to give any information. So now he's someone who's really firm time. with his boundaries. Yes. And so to me, this is clear then. And I think my feeling is I'm not going to bring it up with that sister again. He's made it clear. She has tried twice. I'm not going to put her in that position again. I can't speak for my siblings. I don't know what they're going to do, but um, I will not bring him up to her. Now, at some point later on in life, he passes she may feel free to share things, you know, but it depends on what agreement they had. Right. So this Thanksgiving that you all got together, was that this past Thanksgiving, this past 2018? Thanksgiving. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so, <clears throat> and then the new sibling connected with us New Year's this year. Okay. And so she's five months fresh. Yes. So the table that you're sitting at right now in my dining room, this will be filled with all but one of the siblings. So the one who is not donor conceived is the one who can't come. But the newest one is flying out. Um, she lives on the East Coast. She's coming out to visit her mother. And so I said, why don't we all try to get together so everybody's coming together so that we can meet her in person. Huh, so she's interested. Yes. She's interested. And, you know, I think, she, I wouldn't say standoffish, but, you know, she's not even skeptical. Cautious. Cautious. Yeah. I think she's just trying to catch her bearings like I was. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I sort of assured her, I just said, look, I, I can tell you we're a good group of people. I can't guarantee that moving forward, anybody we match with will be the same. But so far, everybody seems like a very genuine, heartfelt person. We care about each other. Um, and I, I, you know, all I can say is jump in. And, yeah, it's and, like, well, it's <laughs> like, I imagine that even if she decides that it's not a connection that she wants, it's a safe attempt. It's like yeah. a safe, you're a safe group to meet for an afternoon. Yeah, and, and, and at first I was thinking we'd meet at a restaurant or something like that, and then people individually started saying, you know, that seems kind of um, impersonal, right? And so, but I, I was trying to make it so it wouldn't feel like an intrusion or whatever, you know, I. I love hosting parties and having people over and things like that. And um, my in-laws are uh, Filipino from Hawaii. So this whole like, you know, aloha spirit and everybody is ohana. And you know, like I told yeah. you when you came in, go in the fridge, get yep. whatever you want. I made myself right at home. Thank it's, you very much. And this is what we do here, right? But not everybody is that way. Right. So, um, but I just kind of put it out there. Hey, what would you think about coming to my house? We're happy to host. And I think everyone actually ended up really liking that idea and that we're not out there in a public place talking about these really personal things. Really personal things. And the other thing about restaurants, I mean, it just depends on where you go, obviously, but then there's a time constraint yeah. maybe. And 
Yeah, and you just, yeah, you just don't know what's going to happen. Right, and I was thinking the time constraint aspect might be positive. Right, because totally. If you're not getting along, that's then awesome. get out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> if you're at my house and you're kind of trapped for a while. Right. <laughs> but, um, but no, it's, I, I think it'll be good. And, um, and what made you choose this weekend? Is something coming up or just you just it's do? It's Mother's Day. Oh. So the sister is coming out and it, it just, it's like the only weekend that kind of worked for everybody. Um, we have a crazy week next week and it's just the, the timing worked out. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that's sort of... So that of, will be a presence. Yeah. That's kind of where we are. I don't know if you have... Yeah. Uh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I have any to fill in. You did such a great job. Um, I guess, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but does your, your 13 year old know this yes. whole situation? Okay. Yeah. And so she was at that um, Thanksgiving. Right, right, right. With the cousins. And, and so everybody, so all the, all the, all the offspring know, yes. all the children know. And she has a cousin that's her age. They're three weeks apart. Oh, how funny. Okay. So she loves that. Right. So and for her, it feels more just like a family. Yeah. yeah okay. That's what, right. I'm sorry. Just, I'm just going back over stuff yeah. you already said, but. And, you know, I will say just adding something, she asked me a very poignant question. So when I told her about all of this and you know, it's something that I've been grappling with and I've been very honest with her about it. And she asked me, is there any time when grandma could have told you this and it would have been better? That was my next question. And I mean, this is from a 13 year old Mm -hmm. and I had to really step back and think about it and answer honestly. And I said, no, I said, if she had told me when I was a teenager, I absolutely would not have handled it well. Um, especially toward my dad. And in my 20s, I don't think I could have coped with it. No, really. I said, I told her the only way this could have been any better is if it were just the narrative of my life and this is what I was raised with. And I knew from the very beginning that this was the case. And I think you would have that about anything, whether it's adoption or probably the only situation where that would not be helpful would be if you were conceived as part of assault. Right, a trauma. A, a trauma, mm-hmm. rape yep. or incest that or something would, yep. like that. Yep. Growing up knowing that, probably not so beneficial. Right. But other than that, yeah, that's really, but there really is no time when my mom could have told me. But that is such a helps. great question because everybody has a different answer. Yeah, and it really helped me to be able to forgive my mom or kind Mm -hmm. of move past that feeling of I've been lied to my whole life. And it's when could she have told me? And, and back then they did what the doctor told the doctor told them, you know, they came in, they got their, the insemination. The doctor said, you go home and make love to your husband and you'll never know whose it is. Right. And from what I'm, finding out this is very common this is what doctors told couples and you know or why they would mixed. she tell you and if she, you know if they the, didn't know the, for sure and... yeah the doctor said never speak of it to anyone don't even speak to each other about it and i think there's a good chance they probably never did talk about it again mm-hmm. um you know my dad's name is on my birth certificate right and even when my parents split, I mean, he still stayed present as your dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, 
I honestly believe he probably would not have wanted me to know. Uh-huh. Because yeah. after he passed away and I was going through his medical records and things, I found some things that, like he had kidney disease, right? Why wouldn't he have asked me for a kidney? You know, why would he let it get to this point? He died at 67. He didn't, mm. he didn't even get to retire. Yeah. And as I was going through the stuff, so this is before I knew the story, I'm looking through his records and I'm thinking, why wouldn't he have asked me? You know, like I would have done that for my dad. But now that I know this information, again, it's like a soap opera. Oh my gosh. Probably through that process, it would have come out that we're not biologically related or like there would be right. a chance. Right, blood types like would have blood been compared types and things or something. Like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and it's too bad we can't know if that was because he just would could never bear like also it's like he there's probably parents who are like I could never ask my child for a kidney. That's true you know, too, like, possibly, but, but but there's no way to know either way. No, but not you're at right, all. like anything medical. Yeah. And on the one hand, so that's one of the good things that came of this is that there are some things like his mother had Alzheimer's. So, you know, now I mean, I might still have a connection to Alzheimer's, but I don't know for sure that I absolutely do, right? If yeah, that makes any sure, sense. totally. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I ended up doing 23 Maybe is different. In some cases, maybe is better than definitely. You know, all of it is, like, you really can't control any of it anyway. So once, once our donor refused to give us any medical mm -hmm. information or anything, I did 23andMe to get the health report part of it. And I figured it probably doesn't hurt to be in both sure. the, the systems in case people match with us. Might need a bigger dining room table. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We're barely going to fit in this one. Oh, you're right. We're going to have to do the kids' table. Have to get some leaves out or something. God. Yeah. We'll add that to Card tables. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, I feel better knowing the truth and knowing, okay, I wasn't crazy suspecting this. I'm excited to have siblings, you know. 51 years old and I all yeah, of a sudden have yeah, siblings. Yeah, yeah, it seems really fun. It seems really fun that way and really those are good things. It's just the um and I think through the experience I've developed a greater empathy for other people, especially being in the Facebook group. Um and and seeing so many stories and it's helped me appreciate that my mother came to me and yeah. told me the truth. Yep, yep, yep. Um that's a big deal. Um, but on the other hand, I think this whole experience has really reinforced my feelings about fertility clinics and that whole world. And God, that's a whole world I know nothing about. You have me yeah. so interested now. It's, uh, it is interesting. And I think what you would find what's going on now is very different from what was happening before people sure. looked into it and before people questioned doctors. In right. The 60s? Right. So yeah. No. Whole different ballgame. Doctors were gods. You did not question what a doctor told you. Right. Plus th there was no Google or right. web. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's so just you not... could diagnose yourself or you right. know, um you couldn't find alternate right. ideas or good things and bad things about back then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um but uh and then there's another kind of strange aspect which is you kind of feel like a lab experiment. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So even though, yes, you this happened because your parents loved you and wanted kids so badly and stuff. 
still you weren't you weren't conceived in an act of love right it's a bit sterile and clinical and it's it's, petri dishy yeah yeah and um we read an article and they used the term genealogical bewilderment oh yeah Uh uh-huh and (laughs) i've read that i've read that too yeah it really kind of sums it up totally is a great it captures it and for sure and it's like danny shapiro said Mm -hmm. in inheritance you know this changes nothing and it changes everything. everything it it's really hard to to describe or to understand i think unless you've experience it like most things yeah <laughs> in life but it, it right. really but it's so fresh that people don't even don't even have a reference no so but it does it's 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 about your sense of identity and you don't realize how much your your ethnicity or your culture or your parentage affects your sense of yourself until it's it's kind of pulled out from under you, right? At least for me, I think the clinic really did do what my parents asked and found somebody with the same ethnic heritage. Because like I said, I, I had the most boring result of anybody I know. You know, but I know other people who've logged into Ancestry mm-hmm. and found out they're thirty percent something they had no idea about or yep, totally like yeah, totally unsettling for people. Yeah, and so I didn't have that part of it, um, but definitely, like I said before, this idea of wanting to know who I come from, who is this person that makes up half of me, mm-hmm. I have no idea, and I will probably never know. Never know. And but you're experiencing the benefit of these relationships with these siblings, yes, who also don't know, except for the one, right? But. So and so I can't of... say, you know, like if somebody asked me, do you wish you had never done the test? No, I mean, because then I wouldn't have my siblings. Right. But that aspect of, of connecting with somebody who does know him and knowing for sure that he wants nothing to do with us, that's been difficult. Sure. Yeah. Is that something that you guys talk about, the siblings together, or is it just you don't need? A little bit, but I, I think... I'm probably having the hardest time philosophically mm-hmm. with that aspect of it. I think the others, it's more like they want medical history. They want to know about our family. They want to know like what this person is like, you know, what are his hobbies? What are his interests? What, you know, I, for me personally, I can not care about any of that kind of stuff. If he's not a very good person, I don't even, mm. I don't even want to know the rest of it, but um, yeah, we all kind of have like a different, sure, a different take on it mm-hmm. inside, which huh. is interesting. And I guess that's how families are. I don't know because I didn't right. grow up with brothers and sisters, right? But th- it's very enlightening to me to see, you know, even though we have these commonalities, and we have, you know, the we call it the the cheeks and chin, mm-hmm. that should be our family crest, cheeks and chin. Um, but we each have our own personality some of which is, you know, nature, and some of which is part of our environment, and some of it's just us, you know. And Did everybody grow up in California? Yes. Okay. Yes, and, and my brother and I, who are two years apart, we hung out in the same spots, and we could have very easily 
cross paths. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Okay, right. So your friend was on to something. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for sharing <laughs> this perspective. It's so wonderful to get a new... Everybody, I mean, everybody has a different angle, but already the diversity of stories has been um, great, greater than I, than I could have hoped for. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for giving me your, your afternoon. You're welcome. Gonna... Thank you for getting the word out to help build understanding about our situations. Yeah, I really hope, yeah, I really hope that works, <laughs> if that makes any sense at all. Um, yeah, all right, turn this off. So I mentioned at the top of this episode that it's mid-June and you could hear Carla and I talk about Mother's Day coming up. So uh, now you know, or we know, or I know that they have met. She's met with all her siblings at her house. And I, for one, am totally dying to know how it went. I hope that uh, the connection between her and her new siblings continues to be fulfilling for her. It sounds like it's a really interesting uh, sort of project but also just a just a, a turn or a chapter in her life she didn't expect that that is turning out to to be really fulfilling and I, I think that's really cool. Um, I also hope so. I'm gonna so I'll I'll find out. I'll, I'll contact her to find out how it went. But uh, so I hope she keeps in touch with me. Otherwise, um, and I definitely want to know if she gets new siblings. If if this if this pool of people from this one donor continues to grow, uh, so I want to know all about that and be interesting if I could get a group of siblings maybe on to talk uh, just to see what it's like to talk about the experience from each person's perspective. I don't know. Um, so those are the things I'm thinking about after uh, after visiting with Carla. And uh, and I'm also thinking about the ethics of, <laughs> of sperm donation and the confidentiality and the clinics. And there's just so many things I never thought about. Um, so, so I'm going to probably go down that rabbit hole one of these days. Anyway, uh, that is basically it, guys, for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, keep in touch with me through email or all of the regular social media ways. Uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook as Everything's Relative Podcast. And check, and you can email me at eve at everythingsrelativepodcast.com. And uh, check back in two weeks for episode six. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Kaylin Egan and Eve Sturgis. Eve Sturgis is a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California, but the conversations she has on the podcast are not therapy sessions. Logo design by Ivy McNally and music used with permission by Goodbye the Band.